All right, if you have a Bible, um, please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. I've preached on worship before from this passage, but I want to take a, a different route this time as we look at Exodus chapter 20. Um, we'll look at verses 1 through 6, um, specifically Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to look at um, what, uh, what Scripture tells us about what uh, our call as a local church to biblical worship and the importance of biblical worship. And so we're going to look at this this morning, uh, Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So Exodus chapter 20, verses, uh, verses 1 through 6. One more time, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And when you have found your place, if you're physically able to do so, I will invite you to stand with me, if you're physically able to do so, to uh, honor God's Word as we read this together. So, the Word of the Lord given to us this morning, I pray we would all hear it and heed it. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make to you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. May you now add your blessing to your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, I don't know if uh, um, you know very much about uh, a composer by the name of Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, he is probably one of my favorite composers, if I were honest. But all, all of his music, he, he, he would say this con concerning the composing of his music. He said that all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where, there, where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. Interesting, interesting phrasing there, a devilish hubbub. But he would start all of his compositions with the, the initial simply J.J. And he would close out his every composing with the initials S.D.G. Well, if you're asking what J.J. means, it just means Jesus uh, Juva or something along those lines, which means Jesus help me, and the SDG would be Sola Deo Gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. So, what does Johann Sebastian Bach have to do with our worship? Well, uh, not, not so much our worship as much as the idea that he presents here about worship, and that is that, that Jesus is to be the, the, the point upon which all of our worship executes. He is to be the one that, that we sing for. He is the one that we sing to. He is the one that we, we actually engage through by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we sing to the praise of our triune God for the glory of God in all things. And this is important. I think that we understand this. And, and I present this to you this morning um, because I think it's good for us to keep in mind the, the point of the necessity of good and biblical worship, the worship that is, that is good and right, right? So, so this morning, I, I want to focus on, on biblical worship as it is presented in Scripture um, I, there were even some who would say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us 
how we are to worship, to which I would say, uh, no, the Bible most certainly does tell us how to worship. The Bible doesn't give us an order of worship, right? It doesn't tell us we need to do this and then this and then this and then this. But it does, and we'll talk about this in just a few moments, it does give us uh, and prescribes what needs to be within every worship service. And so we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But, but here, here, first and foremost, I want to show you something. I want to show you, first and foremost, the obligation of worship. The obligation of worship. As we read here in Exodus chapter 20, God is speaking to the nation of Israel and he's telling them, he said, look, I'm your God. I'm the one that you are to serve. I'm the one you are to, to serve with all your heart. I'm, I'm the one that you're to, you're to have and, and none others. You're not supposed to worship any other gods. You're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to honor any other gods among you. But to this, um, we would say, well, well, absolutely. But, you know, the Bible actually expands this out. Because if you actually go, and, and this is most certainly true that God's people shouldn't do this, but do you know that, that all of the nations are obligated, the peoples of the world is, are, and the nations are obligated to bow the knee to Christ. They are to bow the knee and to kiss the Son, as Proverbs, or Psalm chapter 2 tells us. Matter of fact, Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 1 that all of creation has an innate knowledge, though, that, though, we, though mankind suppresses that knowledge, he does tell us in Romans chapter 1 that uh, God has called all of creation to bow the knee to, to him and to worship him. And we say, well, now, how do, how do we know this? Well, look what he says here in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because... That which may be known of God is manifest or literally made known in them or to them, for God has shown it to them, for the invisible things of of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So most certainly all mankind, all the nations suppress this knowledge who don't worship the Lord, but God has made it plain to them. Um, and so we see that mankind, I mean, as we look at all of creation, you know, there is not a, there is not a single uh, tribe in all the world. There's not a single nation in all the world um, that, uh, um, that whereby it is natural for them to be atheistic. And even those that are atheistic, they, they, they are driven to worship something. So they are driven to worship uh, their, their, uh, their dictator. They're driven to worship um, uh, the dictates of the dictator or something. But everybody is made for worship. And there's an innate knowledge from which God makes himself clearly known to all mankind. Now, is this enough to save him? No, no, not, most certainly not. But it is enough to show them and to prove to them that they need Christ, that they are, they, are, they are to bow the knee to the Creator. And so uh, things like, so from Romans chapter 1, uh, you know, uh, Paul tells us that, that the Creator, because of who He is, is, He is to be feared and to be loved. He's to be praised. He's to be called upon. He's to be trusted. He's to be served, right? And these things are to happen with all of their heart, soul, and mind. I mean, it's very clear to everyone that we are going to worship something somewhere along the line. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. We are going to worship something, even if it's us, even if it's our desires, even if it's our, our appetites, we're going to worship something. And this is, this, is, this, is the, this is going back to the, to the innate knowledge that God has placed inside each and every human being. 
And because of who God is and what he's shown himself, I mean, as we look at creation, Paul says through the Spirit that it's enough to show mankind, look, there is a creator and he is worthy of your worship. And because of this, it is enough that God calls all of the nations to understand that he is sovereign and that he is good to all. Because even, even if they do not know him as Savior, they should know him as good. Because of he sends the rain on the just and the unjust, he sends the sun, and he provides crops and food and meals for them. He even provides for the lions, uh, Proverbs tells us, and Psalmist tells us that, that he provides food for the lions and for, for all the creation. He provides everything that is needed for their survival. But specifically, drawing back to the people of God, the covenant people of God, right? we, we see that there is a rule of worship that, that God prescribes here in Exodus chapter 20. And, and as a matter of fact, all throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and ongoing, all the way even into the New Testament through the book of Revelation, we are told and taught how to worship. Not only who to worship, but how to worship. And so we are taught that the Bible prescribes the way that God is to be worshipped and ways that he is not to be worshipped. So, for instance, worship is, not, is instituted by God's wisdom, not my wisdom, not your wisdom, not our wisdom, but by God's wisdom. God is the one who has decided he is to be worshipped. God has decided that he is to be the, how, how he is to be worshipped and, 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 and that he is to be worshipped because of who he is. And worship then is limited by what God has revealed to us. So we don't get to make this up on, on the fly, so to speak, right? We don't get to make this up as we, as we go. We don't get to decide what elements are included in worship and what elements are not included in worship. God has already told us these things. And to go against that which God has clearly communicated to us then is, is sin. It is sinful for us to, to rebel against what God has, re, has revealed. Because there are those who would say, well, it, it doesn't matter how we worship. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter in, in the what ways we worship as long as we're worshiping and this is clearly just not true uh, and I, I, I hope I'll make my case here in just a few moments but but the Bible doesn't allow for unacceptable worship you say well now well now wait a minute what do you mean that God doesn't allow for unacceptable worship well listen in the Old Testament uh, there are there were two priests um, who who clearly went against uh, God's word right uh, even uh, Aaron's own sons, Hophni and, and, and Phineas, and they, um, um, uh, maybe I get those names wrong, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's not right, but, but there were two priests who, who went through uh, and, and offered unauthorized fire, and were, as a result, they, were, they, they died before the Lord. And we see, we see even in the, book of, uh, in the book of Acts that this is still the case uh, in, uh, um, in, in the book of Acts. So, so for instance, in Acts chapter 5, uh, we see Ananias and Sapphira, uh, and, and uh, they're, uh, they're refusing to worship the Lord as he, he has commanded. And you say, well, now that has to do with offering. Well, offering is as much worship as, as anything else, and so um, we'll see in just a few moments. But, but so we don't get to describe or we don't get to define how we worship um, by our own ingenuity and innovation. There, there's a big movement. I, I don't know if you know this, but there, there really is a big movement within, within, much, of the within much of the church today for that to, we need to innovate worship we need to be we need to be inc encouraging innovation in our worship and that, that's an ingenuity and that's just not the case uh, we don't need we need to be encouraging biblical godly worship 
And so, and, and, and I, would even, I would even say to you that this would include the suggestions of Satan. You say, no, well, wait a minute, why would Satan encourage us to worship God wrongly? Well, the question is, uh, why wouldn't he? I mean, after all, he, he would say things like to us, well, it doesn't matter how you worship. Uh, worship is, is passive, right? You don't need to really participate in worship. And then after all, maybe you'd even say, well, you know, worship is about us. Or worship must conform to a certain type or a certain form in order for us to participate in that worship. And to which all of this is just wrong. It's not, it's not true. Uh, it must be biblical, but outside of that, that is the only thing that we must, we must be uh, clearly adhering to. Right For us, this is known as what's called the regulative principle of worship. That is that our worship is regulated by Scripture. And this is what God is saying here in Exodus chapter 20 to the nation of Israel. Look, you are not to worship me however you want to. You're not to create other gods or images about me. You're not to, you're not to form these things and say, oh, look, okay, so this is going to help me worship. Right? This, is, this, is not, this is not true. God says, no, you are to worship me the way that I have, and, and you are to honor me the way I have told you that you are to worship and honor me, and not any other way. Uh, and we're not to certainly use visible representations of God. Right? And, 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 and I, know, I know that this, this gets into some, some muddied water, right, because uh, uh, the second commandment, right, but the second commandment does say that we're not to make any graven images, um, we're not to have images of Jesus, white Jesus, black Jesus, or any other color Jesus. We're not to have these things. Uh, we're not to have representations of God the Father. We're not to, we're not to honor, uh, we're not to, we're, we don't glorify God by, by having representations of what God is like. And so we are, to, we are not to use visible representations of Christ or of the Father um, and, or the Spirit for that matter. Um, and so we have, the church has every representation that we need. It's called baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are, those, are our, those are our physical manifestations. Those are our physical representations that God has given us of everything that we need. And so, uh, so again, anything that's not prescribed in Holy Scripture. Let me give you four examples. I've already mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. And I said Hophni and Phinehas. I meant Nadab and Abihu. I apologize. In Numbers chapter 3. But here's, here's two other examples. The Psalms, right? I mean, God cares so much about his worship that he inspired an entire songbook, right? I mean, the, the book of Psalms is an entire worship book about how to worship him. And he cares about his worship so much so that he has inspired 100, uh, 100 plus, 150 Psalms, Right? And so God cares about this. And then I would even say this, the tabernacle or the temple, along with the Levitical priestly garments and sacrifices. And you say, well, well, what about them? Well, listen, as you go through Exodus and Leviticus, part of what makes Leviticus for us so boring as Gentiles is that, I mean, God is so exquisitely intricate in how he is to be worshipped under the old covenant that we think, wow, you know, now that we're in Christ, it doesn't matter. All, everything is game. Everything is fair game. And while it's true we don't go to a tabernacle or a temple and we don't have Levitical priests and Levitical priestly garments, Jesus is our great high priest, it doesn't follow then that Jesus doesn't care about how we worship and how we honor him. Because the object of our worship is, is very important. We need to understand who we're worshiping so that we get how we worship right. And so I would say to you that God, God, we worship God the Trinity. We are to worship the Trinity. We are to worship the Father. We are to worship the Son. And we are to worship the Holy Spirit. 
Um, it, is, it is horrible and horribly wrong to say that the Holy Spirit is the silent one of the Trinity. My goodness, the Holy Spirit is anything but silent. He is, he is quite loud as he speaks to us through the scriptures. And he guides us and convicts us of our sins. And so we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how do we do this? We do this through ultimately the mediatorial work of Christ. Right? So we don't, wor- we don't worship apart from Christ. Right? We worship because of Christ and because what Christ has done for us. And so we worship in Christ and through Christ as the Spirit empowers us. And we worship the Father and we worship the Son and we worship the Holy Spirit. And we dare not come to worship apart from the mediatorial work of Christ. We don't come to worship God any other way than through the Son. We don't get the Father without the Son. Right? We, don't get G- we don't get God the Father without God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come and we worship through Christ's work for us. That is that Christ, through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, ultimately paves the way for us to be reconciled to the Father. That those who repent of their sins and confess faith in Christ and come not trusting their own self, their own self, uh, their own self-righteousness, but come trusting the work of Christ are accepted in the Father. And I would say this, there's a warning in this. There's a warning within the pages of Exodus, here in Exodus 20, as well as throughout Scripture, uh, particularly in the book of Hebrews, because if you don't understand Exodus, you'll never understand the book of Hebrews, and I would even argue Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You'll never fully understand the book of Hebrews. But the the, the writer of Hebrews, as uh, pulling from the book of Exodus here, is very clear. Right? We are not to worship angels. We don't do it. Angels are great, and they're fine beings created, but they are created beings, right? Even in Revelation, John, overcome by what he's being showed, bows down to, to one of the angels, and one of the angels lifts him up and says, no, 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 don't you dare do that. I, I am a servant just like you. Don't you dare worship me. Worship the Father. Worship God, right? And so we are not to worship the angels. We're not to worship angels. I remember one time I, uh, we were, uh, Diane and I were in, in Gatlinburg, and we were just going through some shops, and, and, and there was this one shop we went into that was labeled a, a Christian bookstore, right? Uh, and so uh, we, we, we go in, and, and it was all angels. I mean, this place from top to bottom, it was just nothing but angels, right? It was just like angels, I mean, prayer, prayer for your guardian angel. And I'm like, this is not a Christian shop. I mean, I don't care what you call it. This is not Christian. There's nothing Christian about this because there's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about God the Father. There's nothing about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the angels. And, and as nice and as beautiful as angels are, right, uh, they're not to be worshipped. And they're not to be the focus of our worship. And we're not to worship the saints either, right? I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us very clearly that the saints uh, have all of their hope looking to Christ, and so, so the same is for us. Uh, we are to look to Christ, not to, the, not to the saints. Now, we can look to the saints in the sense that, that of, of, their, of their walk before Christ and what we want to emulate their walk and follow their walk because they were, they were men and women of, of God, men and women of, uh, who loved Christ, and we want to emulate, we want to imitate that walk and say, yes, I want to be faithful like that, I want to serve like that, but not to worship them. And we're also not to worship created things or created beings, Right? Um, because the nations think that they are worshiping uh, God, right? But in but or their God, right? God in their in their own sense and understanding. But in reality, the Bible tells us that they're worshiping demons. They're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping the Creator. They're worshiping demons. They're worshiping they're worshiping beings that are lesser than God. 
And so this brings us, I think, to the content of our worship. And that is, that is simply this. What, what does the Bible tell us is supposed to be in our worship? Again, the Bible doesn't give us like a set pattern for like, okay, you're supposed to do announcements, and then you're supposed to, you know, do this, and then you're supposed to do that, and, and then you're supposed to, it's got to be just like this, right? But it does tell us some things that have to be in every worship service. So let me give you some examples. The Bible does tell us that prayer needs to be a part of our worship. Prayer is a part of our our corporate worship services because God requires us as God's people to to pray, to serve him, to to honor him as as being the the, the one who is not just our creator but also our redeemer. So we worship him, we serve him, we love him, we honor him through our praying, and we are to be in a part of prayer. And again, we, we offer these prayers through our mediator, right, through in the name of in the name of Jesus, but we are helped in our prayer, even, even corporately, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He is the one through whom the the the, uh, the He is the one through whom we, we offer our prayers to, to Jesus. And so it is interesting that, that we think that Je- we think of Jesus as as our great high priest, and, and rightly so, he is our great high priest, and he does intercede to to the Father on our behalf. But, you know, Jesus called the Holy Spirit another paraclete, another helper, right? And he is the one through whom the, that he is praying for us as well. And we pray through him to the Son or to the Father through, through the Son and empowered by the Spirit of God. And so we, we, we pray. We pray by the Spirit's help. We want to pray according to God's will, right? We, we know that we need to pray in accordance with his will, with his, with his understanding, and we need, to, we need to be in prayer, but, but we don't need to just be offering prayers however willy-nilly we want to. They, need to, be, they need to be offered in ways that the Scripture prescribes for us even. So we need to be praying for things as we're taught to pray. So, for instance, the model prayer, our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily prayer, and on and on. So, so it's not that we're to pray that exactly, but Jesus has offered us a form in that of, of, of the types of things we need to be praying for. And so we need to be in prayer for, for these. And so we don't pray for dead people. We don't pray for those who are, who are sinning unto death, uh, as we're taught in 1 John. But we do pray. We do pray for, those, uh, for, for the nations. Uh, I mean, after all, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Through, through Christ as he, as he converts the nations, as he conquers the nations through the preaching of the gospel. As the nations are, are, are brought and plowed under through the preaching of the gospel as Christ converts the nations through the gospel and as, as he answers our prayer. Listen, Jesus would not tell us to pray for something unless he was going to answer our prayer. And so for us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we need to pray with confidence that Christ is plowing the nations under through the gospel. He is plowing them under through the gospel and converting nations through the gospel. You say, well, but it looks so bad. Well, listen, here, here's the problem with that. It's, it's easy for us to lose context, isn't it? So we would say, well, it just looks so bad in Canada and the United States. And it does, but do you know that the gospel is advancing in South America and in Africa? It's advancing even in China so much so that within, within the next probably few years, China, despite it being a communist nation, will be the largest Christian nation on the earth. 
an amazing reality. India is quickly coming behind them and will soon overtake some of the Western nations as being the largest Christian nation or a larger Christian nation than some Western nations. So just because we in the West have lost our way doesn't mean that Christ is not plowing the nations under. It doesn't mean that he's not conquering. It doesn't mean that he's not overcoming. and He's not bringing nations to bow the knee to him. We need to be, we need to be prayerfully, powerfully pleading for Christ to do the same that he's doing in places like India and China and in other places despite their political powers that be and their, the, the wickedness that they're doing that, that Christ would plow our nation like he once did under for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be in prayer for this. But not only prayer, but also scripture reading, right? Like, as, as I've said before, it's interesting, it's amazing that as the New Testament church met, they would read large sections of scripture together. Right? They, would lead, they would read what the apostles had written to them, the, uh, the whole passages. And then we're told, we're told from, from some of the early writings that after, after they would read these large extended passages of scripture, then there would be a, a pastor who would stand up and begin to, begin to explain that passage of scripture. And so we know that, that Bible reading, scripture reading, is to be, is to be part of, of what we do as a, as a congregation. We also know that preaching is to be part of, of what we do. There are a lot of churches where preaching has become secondary. Now, there are some other churches where Scripture is so primary that there's nothing else. Um, but that is not biblically. Neither one of those are biblical examples. So, so, so we, need to, we need to be guided through the preaching of God's Word. Right, um, so that we can then go out and do the work of evangelism and do the work of discipleship and do other work, but but the preaching needs to be sound biblical preaching, careful and along with the church's careful obedient listening to what the Bible says. There needs to be song singing, the ordinances. So all of these things are are, are to be part of what the church does. They're to be praying. They're to be singing. They're to be. They're to be. Um, to be reading scripture together, they're to be expounding scripture through preaching, and they're to be, they're to be ob- observing the ordinances of the Lord as they meet together. And we're to properly perform this worship as we meet together because we're doing this in obedience to God, right? God has said, thus says the Lord, this is what we're called to do with understanding, right? So, 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 we should be explaining as we go, right? So it shouldn't be, well, you know, let's just do what we've always done. We, we need to explain as we go. We need to help people understand why we do what we do. And we need to be doing this in faith and with great faith that Christ would be glorified in us. And we need to do it in reverence. And now, now pe- pe- some people would say, well, reverence means that you can't say anything. You know, we, we went to a, a church uh, for, for um, a couple months, maybe six months, eight months, something like that, where you were told that you can't say anything as you go into the, to the, to the sanctuary, right? Um, that you need to be completely quiet and and. Um, I I, I guess that's fine for them, but I don't think that's exactly what what reverence means. I guess it could mean that. But but reverence in the sense of understanding who you're coming to worship. Not only worship, but also who you're worshiping side by side with. And and reverencing God as we do this. And godly fear. We're, We're performing our worship with great fear. 
right now. Now, if you go back to Exodus, what is the point? What what is what is God's purpose in all? Or what what is his what is foundational reason? He really doesn't give us one, does he? He's just like, okay, do this, and then he says, you know, the, to the answering the question. Uh, not that he answers the question why, but if you were to say, well, why? He just simply says, because I'm the Lord your God. Right? He doesn't say, well, you need to do this because this is the only way I accept worship, at least at this point. Right? He says, no, just do this because I'm telling you to do this because I am your God. And you are to fear me. You are to serve me with fear. And now others would tell us to this end, I, I want to sort of add a sort of a, uh, as, as, uh, just so in our closing, I want to sort of add the day of our worship. Uh, because there are people uh, who would tell you, well, it doesn't matter the day upon which you worship, to which I would say, poppycock, foolishness, absolutely ridiculous. We are to worship on the Lord's day. Now, does that mean that we're only to worship on the Lord's day? No, 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 not at all. Does that mean that we're to, oh, we, we, that if we have a job that requires us to work, you know, uh, you know on Sundays that, that we're sinning? It depends. Uh, it, it could be, and then again, it could not be, just depending on the circumstances. Um, but, but, all in all, we are to worship on the Lord's day because it is a day upon which Christ rose from the dead. Um, and I would even say this. You know, the first Christians, they worked all day, then they came in and they, they worshiped. Um, they, they prioritized worship like that um, until, until they were given... Uh, the, the day off in which they were to we were to worship and so the early church worked all day long and they would worship or they would come in first thing in the morning before daylight and they would worship and 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 do all of this together as a church and then they would go work all day and so so the church the, a church that is committed to the lord's worship right we we that is ultimately what we are that's ultimately what we are called to, to be as a church committed to the lord's worship and a day that is centered upon God, a day that has been changed through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Why do we worship on Sunday? Why do we worship on the Lord's Day? It's because Christ rose from the dead. And it's a continuing day. It's a day that has been, that finds itself in, in the very creation order. Even though it's been a changed day, even though the day has been changed, it is nonetheless in, in, in keeping with the Sabbath, at least in the, the understanding of the day of rest. And it is a day that's been claimed by God and a day that is to be a day of worship. And certainly this doesn't mean you're not supposed to go out to eat or you can't watch a football game. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, that we are to be focused upon Christ on this day more than any other day. Even if we must work on this day, we are to, be, we are to look to Christ throughout this day. Because God allows us six days of the week for our own desires and he has claimed the, the Lord's day for his glory and for his honor and for his praise, right? And so he has, he has done this for his own glory. And so let me, let me apply this then for us. So Christian, right? So there, there are several aspects, right, that I really just want to sort of, uh, lots of things I could talk about, but really just want to narrow it down first. Let's talk about the heart of our worship. It matters, right? It matters what we do. It matters what we go do. We, because, listen, we could go to a million worship services and, and never truly worship. But it matters how, it matters, we could go to many concerts and conferences and anything else, but never truly worship God because our hearts are not right with him. So, so whatever else is going on, right, I mean, we must worship the Lord. 
We must serve him. Our hearts must be properly prepared and focused and fixated and satisfied upon Christ. We need to prepare our hearts to worship as much as we need the act of worship. And I would also say this, Christian, whether you are leading yourself, your children, or a whole household, make sure that whatever else you're doing, however else you're leading them, lead them in worship. We're not relieved from this command to worship fathers, grandfathers. We're not, we're not uh, mothers who perhaps don't have, uh, or grandmothers who perhaps don't have leadership in the home that, are, that is Christian. We're called to lead in worship. Second of all, uh, so that's for the Christian. Second of all, for the church. Let, let me say this for us as a, as a church. We must be thoughtful and reverent as we think through how we, uh, how we worship and, and the ways in which we worship. Uh, I know that today, like, it, it is all the rage to be, like, spontaneous and, like, you know, just, just super, you know, quote-unquote spirit-led, right? And spirit-led apparently means that you can't plan anything. But <laughs> that's, that's not biblical. That's not, that's not the way that this works. Um, and so ingenuity, spontaneity, other such things are lifted up as the way that we worship, and it's something worth emulating. And certainly the Holy Spirit can move and work and certainly should be allowed to to move and work within our worship. But it doesn't mean that we can't formulate how best to do that, how best to worship the Lord and make sure that it is always the case that we are making sure that our worship is in alignment with the word of God. And so I would say to us that every single church must live by the motto it was a motto that was, that was coined in, 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 the, in the Reformation and one that is continuing on for us. And it simply says this, Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda, which simply means this, the church reformed and always reforming. That must dominate our hearts and lives. And lastly, for, 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 for the non-Christian here, let me, let me simply close by saying this to you. Every one of us worships something. Everyone. Depending on the person, we all worship different things. We all worship wealth or power or position, morality or immorality. I mean, it just, just goes on and on. We could just name whatever. And so the only choice really is this. It's not, are we going to worship? Uh, that's, not, that's not really the issue. The issue is, what are we going to worship? Are we going to worship ourselves? Are we going to worship our so-called God? Right? Um, again, whether that is the God of materialism, the God that we call Buddha, spirit guides, exercise, food, you name it. Right, Because whatever God you serve outside of the God of the Bible is going to eat you alive. You say, well, now what do you mean by that? Well, all of these gods, quote-unquote, are insidious because we usually worship the things in an unconscious way, right? These, these things that consume us because we are, we are worshiping these things because that's our default setting. However, the God of the Bible who has sent forth his dearly beloved son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity, came not to eat you alive, but to rescue you from your sin, to rescue you from your sin, to rescue you from these false gods that you are serving. He alone has come to set you free. He alone has come through by giving you faith causing you to reject your sin and self-righteousness and causing you to throw yourself on God's good mercy to save you from your sin through faith in Christ and reconcile you to the Father through His finished work on the cross. So come to Christ. He is a loving, gracious Savior 
who died upon the cross for our sins. And God cares about our worship. God cares about our worship. God wants us to constantly be reforming how we look at worship and constantly be thinking before us, is this in alignment with Scripture? Are we following Scripture in this way? Not in accordance with our own thoughts or our own methods, but in accordance with the Word of God. Let our, let our, let our hearts be, be focused upon Christ. Let our minds be focused upon Christ. Let our worship be, 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 be formatted to the Word of God, that Christ can be glorified in us and through us and let this be the heart of our worship whether this be personal worship whether this be uh, family worship whether this be corporate worship however this looks let our worship be formed by christ and by his word let's pray together father we thank you for your word we thank you for your time together this time together god we thank you that uh, that you have allowed us this time in which to worship and you've called us together uh, not in not in formulation of our own thoughts or our own desires, but in accordance with Christ. Help us to to always be reforming and and, and being reformed as the, as a local church that we may we may focus upon Christ. We may serve Christ. We may we may make everything that we do and say and the way in which we sing and the things we sing about all about Christ. And so we thank you, Father, for this time already this morning in which you've given us to sing in which you've given us to, to give and to, to, uh, to pray together as your people. And so, God, may we continue to look to Christ, serving Christ, honoring Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.